Happy New Year. Uh, I kind of got my calendar a little mixed up last week, which is why um, I thought last week was the New Year, last Sunday, but it, it, was, it was New Year's Eve. Um, so, so I can uh, wish us Happy New Year, and I think it's, it's timely. The New Year is a time, I think, uh, when many people not only begin to look forward to new plans, new resolutions, you might call them, but it's also a time for reflection of uh, the previous year. The New Year is a time where we have the opportunity to, to gain some perspective. What I mean is this. Think about last New Year. So New Year of 2023, what were some of your hopes and dreams or resolutions for 2023 at the beginning of 2023? And now that we've gone a whole year, what happened to those hopes? What happened to those plans, those concerns? Um, Because when we think about where we were a year ago to where we are now, Sometimes, oftentimes, that gives us perspective, and you know, meaning you guys or even Christ Church. I will say that for me and my family, last year at this time, our main concern for the upcoming year was, would my wife and I be able to, to handle a one-year-old all by ourselves for most of the year? Because since the time he was born, for the first year of his life, um, we had grandparents with us, whether our parents, my parents, or her parents, um, you know, they came and lived with us for about a year. That's not sustainable <laughs> in, a, in a little house uh, for a very long time. And so last year at this time, our main concern for, for the year was, would my wife and I, just the two of us, be able to sustain, uh, work together, and uh, raise our little family just by ourselves and, and be independent like like what? every parent, every family has to go through. And I will say at the beginning of last year, we were very uncertain and very afraid of what might happen. But now looking back at what happened in the last year, we see God's grace. We see God's strength. We see God's working in us that allowed us to um, to kind of be independent as a family unit uh, to the point now where we don't really think about, we don't really worry about, you know, just being the three of us. So the new year is a good time to give us perspective. That's what I want to talk about today in this passage. Um, I want to talk about perspective. In our text, 1 Timothy 4 verses 6 to 8, Paul concludes this uh, section from chapter 1 to 3, and even the beginning part of uh, 4, where he talks about uh, how the church in Ephesus, that's where Timothy was sent to take over for Paul, how the church in Ephesus ought to be ordered, how worship ought to be ordered, how preaching ought to be, how uh, conduct within the church ought to be. And Paul Uh, concludes this first part of Timothy by reminding Timothy of two main things that he has repeated and reemphasized and reemphasized throughout 
the book of Timothy. Uh, the first focus is on the Word of God. The second focus is on godliness. It's these two things, you know, preach the Word of God and uh, be uh, growing in godliness. It's these two things that are main themes throughout all of 1 Timothy. And here in our verses, Paul goes back to these two main themes or these two focuses. He focuses on the Word of God and he reminds Timothy to grow in godliness. Uh, so we will talk about these two points. But in talking about them, Paul also reminds Timothy of perspective, of perspective, of what his perspective ought to be, and perhaps warning him and warning us of uh, where our perspective ought not to be. Okay? So all we're going to do today is talk about these two focuses, uh, the focus on the Word of God and the focus on godliness, but we'll also talk about perspective. Let's begin by looking at verse 6, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. There the Bible says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have thoroughly followed. The verse, when we first read it, seems innocent enough because who wouldn't want to be a good minister of Jesus Christ? And it seems to tell us all we have to do is preach the word, instruct the brethren in these things, be nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, preach the word faithfully, and you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. That is certainly what the verse says. But the key here is in that phrase, these things. When Paul says, or when the Bible says, instruct the brethren in these things, what are these things that, it, uh, that the scripture is referring to? Well, these things refer to everything that has come before, all the instructions that have come before in chapters 1 to 4 uh, in the previous verses. Let's be more specific. These things refer to all the instructions that came before, instructions that today in today's church would cause controversy, much controversy. In fact, maybe I'll go it a little step further. These things refer specifically to things that used to be controversial in church or once was controversial in church, but now maybe is not controversial in church because the church has conceded. The church has given up fighting for these teachings and has conceded them to its great detriment. What are we talking about? Well, let's think about some of the previous things that the scripture has covered in 1 Timothy. In chapter 2, it teaches that women ought to learn in silence, that a woman is not permitted to teach. In chapter 3, the Bible talks about qualifications of elders and deacons, and, and we spent a lot of time uh, going over each of these qualifications in detail. 
but including the fact that they must be men. They must be husbands uh, of one wife. And the Greek words there are incontrovertible. They are gender-specific words. So they must be men, elders and deacons. Uh, just one of the qualifications, many qualifications of elders and deacons. Think about what the Bible taught us in chapter 4. That we are not to give heed to deceiving spirits. This morning, uh, we were discussing the Pentecostal church and how the Pentecostal church deceives people. Well, what is the Pentecostal church but deceiving spirits? Using a false sense of higher spirituality, but teaching people deceptive doctrine or things that are not even in the Bible. Or in the specific example we're talking about this morning, churches that don't even use the Bible. Do not give heed to deceiving spirits or doctrines of demons. We discussed this. What is a doctrine of a demon? Well, in scripture, the doctrine of a demon, when demons come to deceive people like Eve, they begin by saying, did God really say this? Did God really say that? And usually it's on a seemingly minor issue or minor point. Did God really say you shall surely die if you eat of the apple? Did God really say that creation was in six literal days? Or did God really say that, uh, that salvation is by faith alone? And when we say faith alone, we mean faith alone and not faith. But some point later, faith in accord with works. You see, when the Bible says, instruct the brethren in these things, it's talking about things that are controversial in today's church. Or, like I said, things that used to be controversial, but to our great detriment, we've stopped fighting over them because we've conceded. I want us to, to notice the tension. I don't know if you've felt it. I certainly have in the last couple, I don't know how long we've been in 1 Timothy, but every time... We, uh, we preach, and as we've worked through 1 Timothy, every time I prepare a sermon where it touches upon one of these sensitive, quote-unquote, sensitive topics, I've had to wrestle. Do I really want to preach this topic? First of all, is the point of a sermon to rile people up? You know, maybe it'd be better to preach on something more peaceful, less controversial. Um, I've even had the struggle where I know this is going to be recorded, right? And I know we live in a time and place where uh, you could get fired from your job for saying certain things. So do I want to water it down a little bit? Make it more palatable for, for people's opinions? Or do we go ahead and just preach? what the word is, what, what, what the word is saying. You know, I, I've felt the tension. But I want us to remember perspective. Scripture says, if we instruct the church in these things, 
including these controversial things, and we are faithful to it, it's unmistakable. The scripture says we are good ministers of Christ. We're doing a good job if we preach these things. That's scripture's perspective. I'll tell you what is the perspective of many of today's churches. The perspective of many of today's churches says this. If we instruct the church in these things, we are being harsh and we are being dis divisive. We are being unforgiving and we are being too, I don't know what the word is, legalistic. In fact, in many churches today, the perspective is, if you want to be a good minister, you avoid these topics. You avoid talking about only men ought to be elders and deacons. You avoid talking about, well, creation was in six literal days. At best, maybe you skirt around the topic, maybe touch it touch upon it a little bit, but then you water it down and you make sure that people aren't offended in church. I'll give you one example. Um, in the last year or so, I went to a church where uh, the, the, the preaching overall, the sermon overall was very uh, self-therapeutic, okay, where, where basically the main thrust of the sermon was, you know, you have a purpose god has a plan in your life everything is about was about you 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 god loves you he wants you in community he has a purpose for your life your life is worth something everything was was about you 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 there was a point in the sermon where and i forget what the point was but there was a point in the sermon where the preacher eventually went back to the text and read something in scripture where it exhorted us to do something that obviously we weren't doing, or obviously the congregation wasn't doing. Okay, and I thought, great, for a, for a bright moment, we got God's word, and the burden of the word fell on us, and you, you know, I could even sense the spirit working and reminding me, oh, wow, like maybe I forgot to do something in the word. And then immediately after reading that verse, the preacher watered it down. He massaged our egos. He tried to help us to feel better about the conviction that the word was having on us at the moment. It's about competing perspectives. We are good ministers of Jesus Christ if we instruct the brethren in these things not to avoid them not to skirt around them because of what people might say about us not to say well these might just be minutiae that might not be essential for our faith so why bother riling people up over such tiny little things we are called to maintain our perspective in fact one of the things that helps us to remain, maintain a good perspective is that little phrase. You will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. That word minister 
is the Greek word diakonos. Now we are very familiar with that word. Diakonos means deacon,、uh, but diakonos has also a broader meaning to mean a servant. Okay. When used in a specific context, it means the office of a deacon. But that word has a broader application. When it's used more broadly, it means a servant.、Uh, in our text, that word diakonos is used broadly. How do we know? Well, because Paul is talking to Timothy, saying we will be good diakonoses of Jesus Christ. Obviously, Paul is not confusing himself with a deacon. Paul is not saying, "Well, sometimes I'm an office of a deacon, and sometimes I'm an elder." He's also not confusing Timothy, saying, "Sometimes you're an elder, and sometimes you're a deacon. You hold two offices." No, Paul is using that word in a broader sense to mean we, if we instruct the brethren in these things, we will be good servants of Jesus Christ. That's the perspective we need to remember. When it comes to, well, what ought we to preach? If it comes to a difficult passage, do we want to step on people's toes? Do we want to risk offending people?、Uh, the perspective we need to keep is: we are Christ's servants, meaning He's the master. He determines what ought to be preached. He determines. What's important to cover and what's not important to cover. We don't get to determine that. I think sometimes in church, we, not this church, but in church in general, we give us ourselves offices. You know, we call ourselves ministers or elders and deacons, and we lose sight of the, of the meaning of those words. We 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 attach our own meanings and definitions to those words. Minister, oh, he's a preacher, he's a pastor, he's an elder, he's a deacon, and we attach to those words power and authority, and then it goes to our heads, and we think, well, because I'm a minister of Christ, I get to determine what ought to be preached. I get to determine what is important. I get to determine what. You know,、uh, might what the people need to hear. Instead of realizing, no, if you're a minister of Christ, you are His servant, meaning He's the master. He determines, not you. He does. To give an illustration, my son is two. He sometimes needs to remember that he's not in control, that his parents are. Right? It's our rules, our house. But he doesn't know that. Sometimes he's in his terrible twos. He thinks many times that he's in control, and that's where we have to correct him and instruct him and, and、uh, discipline him. But how often in church? Do we act like two-year-olds before God? It's my way, my preferences, what I want to hear, what I think is important to preach. It's not that way at all. God reminds us of perspective. We are 
servants. He is the master. He determines what we ought to uh, cover, what we ought to preach in church. That's the first focus on God's word. The second focus in our text on godliness. Uh, look with me at verse 7, 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. There the Bible says, But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. That word exercise comes from the Greek word gymnasdo. Uh, sounds like the word for gym, and it is. Um, that's where we get our English word for gym, in gymnasium. Uh, the word means to train with full effort and force. Think about the original context of that word. This is a Greek word. We know the Greeks had the Olympics. But we also know that the Greeks competed in the Olympics nude or wearing very little. And the reason being that they wanted to show off the, the, the beauty of the, phys, uh, the human physique after it has rigorously trained itself. So that word, exercise, gymnasdo, means to train with full effort, with full force, uh, with full intentionality, with full purpose, such that when you go and compete, and you have to compete without any clothes, uh, you won't be ashamed of yourself. Okay? By comparing our growth and godliness, in other words, our sanctification, that's what we're talking about in this verse. By comparing our growth and godliness or our sanctification to exercise, the Bible is telling us a couple things about our sanctification or about our growth and godliness. One, uh, it takes action. It's more than just words, more than just talking about it. Uh, I would even say our sanctification is more than even praying about it. Although prayer is very important, perhaps the first step, perhaps the most important step, but it can't just stop there. What good is it if somebody talks about physical exercise? I got to go to the gym. Well, I got a member. Even I got a membership at the gym. And I watch YouTube videos and I talk about it with my friends, but never goes to the gym. There's no action. What happens, how effective is that person's exercise? That's the case with physical exercise and even more so with our spiritual exercise, our growth and godliness, our sanctification. It takes action. Can't just talk a good game. Can't just have good theology. Can't even just pray a good prayer. I think that's something I have to remind myself sometimes. In my own growth and godliness i pray about it yes and that is very important that is because sanctification is a spirit wrought work right and so the first step is you ask you repent of your sin and you ask the spirit to work in you but remember what jesus also said action is very important maybe even drastic action right if your eye causes you to sin gouge it out if your hand causes you to sin cut it off 
Jesus didn't mean that literally. Otherwise, all of us would be, have both of our eyes and hands, you know, maimed and cut off. But the, 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 the intent there is it requires action, even perhaps sometimes drastic action, purposeful action. The reason we read the account of 1 Samuel 4, Eli's two sons, was they were all talk, no action. All talk, no action. It's very interesting as you read it again, Mark. Um, in the previous chapter, it's very obvious why they lost that war against the Philistines. It's because they were not being obedient. They were ungodly. They were, practice, they were practicing lawlessness, including his two sons. They were having sex with women at the tent. They were stealing the food that was supposed to be sacrificed to God. It's very obvious why God was not with them. And yet they had the audacity when they lost that first battle. The elders came together and said, why wasn't God with us? What should we do? And instead of going to the obvious answer, they said, ah, it's because we didn't bring the ark out. So let's bring the ark out. Maybe it's because we didn't shout loud enough. So they shouted loud enough. They talked a good game, such so that the scripture even says the ground shook because of their cries. Maybe because of their worship. Maybe because of their praise of the ark. The ground even shook and even got to the Philistine camp. And what happened in both of the Philistines? Fight like men. And the Philistines won. Because God wasn't with them. Why? Because there was no action. They never put their words, they never put their talking a good game into action, into actual growth and sanctification. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 7. This is why we read it. Right? If we... Not everyone who talks a good game, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, on the last day, will get into heaven. But didn't we do a hope, you know, didn't we have a, <laughs> basically, didn't we talk a good game? We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We did many wonders in your name. But then notice what Jesus says. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Basically, you who never put godliness into action. And then that parable of the, of the uh, two builders, who one who built on the rock, and one who built on the sand. The difference being, the one who built on the rock was one who heard these sayings of Jesus and did them, put it into action. And then the one who built on sand was the one who heard Jesus' saying but did not do them. So that word exercise used uh, when talking about our godliness or our sanctification implies, means, there must be action. Second, that word uh, when used to talk about our sanctification means there should be some expectation of progress. If you're going to the gym and you're doing some exercise, but it's not helping you to progress in some way, maybe you're not losing weight. Maybe you're not getting stronger. Maybe you're not running longer. Maybe your cardiovascular isn't improving. Then maybe it's time to reevaluate what exercise you're doing. And if you're doing it right, maybe you're doing it wrong. 
there should be some progress with exercise, or even just emotionally, you're you're getting stressed out, and you know, uh, but there should still be progress in that area. If you're not making any progress in bodily exercise, I think it's time to evaluate whether you're doing it right. And I think the same thing with our sanctification. If we cannot see progress in any area of godliness, then I think it's time to 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 repent and to and to reevaluate what you're doing wrong. There's a particular heresy that's going around in um, in today's modern church. It goes something like this: the heresy says that. Any talk of effort in sanctification, any talk of trying, or any talk of action, my personal action in sanctification, is works righteousness, and it's actually wrong. This heresy goes on to say that the only thing we must do in sanctification is to continue to return to rest on the righteousness of Christ for our justification. So any talk about trying harder trying to obey God more, trying to walk better in His commandments, that itself is works righteousness and that is wrong and not needed and actually you know, wrong in the Christian life. What you actually need to do instead of that is continue to return to rest on the completed work of Christ. Sounds very nice. But basically what that sets up is a hamster wheel. You're not getting anywhere. You're just going back to square one, going back to zero all the time, all the time. You're not growing. There is no actual progress in your sanctification. Now, there's many other things that are wrong theologically with that heresy, but that's one of the things, main things that's wrong with that heresy is that you're, you're setting yourself up to not have any progress. If the Bible uses that metaphor, exercise, for our growth and godliness, uh, there should be some expectation of progress. Not perfect, not always on a, you know, upward incline, right? There's going to be failures. There's going to be discipline and discipline by God, from God, our Father, never feels right, never feels good in the moment. But God does it because He loves us. But overall, there should be some progress. Last, when the Bible uses exercise to describe our godliness or growth in godliness, uh, it promises to us that godliness is an everlasting investment. Verse 8. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. I don't know if this happened to you guys. I hope it didn't. But um, but my wife and I, we're at the age now where we're starting to think about planning for our retirement. I know it's early, but you know, you're supposed to plan early. So over the last couple of years, we've been putting into our IRA and putting into our IRA, you know, being very frugal and, and saving whatever we can to put it in our IRA and uh, to hope hope that it grows. And then COVID happened and then the market crashed. And within a month, 
all of our gains from the last five or six years was wiped out, gone, gone in an instant. Now, you know, our, our, our base, thankfully our base investment was still there, but we basically started back at zero. All of any, all, any of the gains uh, that, that we had, it, 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 it was gone in an instant. It reminds us of how fleeting things are in this life. Everything is fleeting in this life. Your health is fleeting in this life. You know, I talked at the beginning about our, uh, you know, beginning of last year's worries about are we going to be able to take care of our son, right, just as a you know, family unit. And I have to remind myself that time with him is, might be fleeting. Many things that we consider important are actually fleeting in this life. Except for one thing. The Bible says godliness is not fleeting. Your growth in godliness has promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. How do we know that? Well, because we know that God's plan is to conform us to the image of his son. Romans 8. Verses 28 to 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, that's a verse that's often misquoted or uh, truncated, right? People just cut it off at, we know that all, you know, God works all things for the good of those who. Uh, who are his, not knowing that the end of that, the, the, the whole end point of that is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Um, to not, not literally make us Christ, right? Because we're still conformed to the image of Christ. So there's still that creator-creature distinction. But we are, the final result of God's work of salvation is to conform us to the image of Christ. That's God working in us, basically working godliness in us. The flip side of that is when God works in us, we work. We work to grow in godliness. And the Bible says that whatever gains, whatever profit we have in this growth in godliness in this life, it lasts. Uh, in fact, it will be perfected in glory. It doesn't go away. It's not fleeting. It's actually one of the things that lasts. It's very interesting how in Corinthians, when Paul says the greatest, the greatest three things are faith, hope, and love, but even there will be one day when hope and faith pass away, but love is everlasting. Well, think about why, right? Hope, the Bible says, is uh, trust that something invisible is. Well, one day we don't have to hope anymore because we will see God with our own eyes. We'll see Jesus. We'll see God's glory with our own eyes. One day hope will be no more. Even that great thing called hope. Faith, again, is belief in the promises of God that have not yet come true, but we believe it to be true. There will be one day when we won't need faith anymore. Well, we won't need to live by faith, but we can live by sight because all of God's promises will be visible and there and realized right? Realized eschatology when Christ comes. 
okay? But it's very interesting what Paul says. Of those three, of those three great things, faith, hope, and love, love lasts. Why? Because love is godliness. Growing in love of God, growing in love of our neighbors. That is eternal. That lasts. Psalm 37 reminds us, and, you know, reminds us of perspective. Because Psalm 37 is a psalm all about the psalmist looking at himself, wanting to, to grow in godliness, but seeing the prosperity of the wicked. Okay? And seeing, maybe wrestling with thinking, maybe it's better to be wicked. You know, they, they live better lives. They, you know, they're not being persecuted. It's not as much of a struggle, right, uh, to, to, to live wicked lives. But then the psalmist, readjusting his perspective, say, no, the wicked, they're not here for very long. They're like the tender grass that grows and then is no more. But the, but the righteous, the ones who have godliness, the ones who grow in godliness, those are the ones who will inherit the earth. So friends, this new year, let us be mindful of our perspective. I know we began this morning, you know, there's just the three of us. Um, I think it's okay to say this. When, when things are tough, when, when, when we feel like things are a struggle, perhaps this is the most important time to, to remember the right perspective. You know, because it's, I think it's easy for us to, to start to think about, well, what can we do differently? What can we do? Uh, what new programs or what new things, you know, should we do differently to, to change, to help Christ Church to grow? And I think the reminder of today's text is to, to remind us, no, be faithful with be faithful with be faithful with God's perspective. You know, he said that if we keep preaching these things, including these supposedly controversial things, but if we just remain preaching these things, we are a good servant of Jesus Christ. That's our perspective, right? At the end of the day, no matter how big our church is or how small it is, uh, the most important thing for us is to be faithful servants of Christ. That's it. And then we leave the, the numbers of church, whether we're going to get deacons, you know, the future of church, we leave that in our master's hands. But we are just called to be servants. And we exercise in godliness because God says that's important. Exercise in godliness. So friends, will you do that with me this, this new year? Let us remember the right perspective. Um, that church, we continue to do the things we do uh, because we are not the masters. God is the master. And we continue to work on our godliness because um, because that is what our master tells us to do let us pray heavenly father we we thank you for um, this reminder 
um, or of, of what is truly important uh, in this life, in the next. Uh, Father, we, we confess that there uh, may be times when we are tempted to go away uh, from these things, these important things, and, and to seek our own path and perhaps to seek our own solutions. Uh, but Father, th- help us, give us the strength and give us the grace to remember the right perspective, that you are in charge and that we are merely just your servants and that we ought to not only preach the things that you command us to preach, but that we ought to also exercise ourselves in godliness. Give us grace, give us strength to do these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.